0: Welcome to HHE Podcast. The verdict. This is our aftershow podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 73, excrement in Scotland during 1600 to 1650. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. Otherwise, you will find spoilers ahead. Pseudo turd is made of soya paste. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the repeated increasingly desperate flushing to my persistent floater, it's
1: mr ryan weir i mean that's probably the worst one we've ever done (laughs) (laughs) i think we're all in agreement that's just awful
0: that was terrible wasn't there i I regret everything immediately And, of course, we are joined, as ever, by the dropper of deadly dookies. It's the judge himself, Mr Paul Dursley. Uh, Fecal felicitations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a long verdict. Uh, Now, Ryan, I was on the toilet this week and I was straining very hard and I strained so hard I had a small brain aneurysm and forgot everything about the last episode. So I wonder if you could remind us in about 60 seconds? Yeah,
1: I can do that for you. When do you want me to do it? Uh, how about now? For episode 73, we got down and dirty with the earthy realities of early 17th century Scotland. We rolled up our sleeves and delved into the bustling farming communities where oats were the main crop and cities where living cheek by jowl was the norm. We explored the humble midden, discovering how these piles of waste were not just heaps of rubbish but a symbol of wealth and status for the owners. We busted some myths surrounding the infamous cry of Garde Lou and got a nose full of the noxious norlock, Lock, which held more than just water. We then t- Tiptoed into the royal privy chambers with groom-of-the-stool, Sir Thomas Erskine, and lifted the lid on his intimate role with the kingly caboose. And all while pondering the health impacts of the Scottish diet, wondering at the brilliance of Scottish inventiveness, and trying to use as many slang words for poop as we could think of. It may have been sloppy, but it was most definitely satisfying. It was excrement, in Scotland, during the early 17th century. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah,
0: yes, of course. It's all come back to me now. I can almost smell the episode. (laughs) I had a terrific time, Ryan. I learned a great deal. And uh, I have to say, you dealt with a very tricky subject with some aplomb. But my opinion is as waste on a midden. The real person (laughs) we need to hear from is, of course, Judge Dursley. So, Paul, I, I feel like this may have been right up your alley. But how did you feel about the episode? What do you mean, right up my alley? I just want to be privy to your thoughts. Ah, Ah. This is going to be a long episode, isn't it?
2: Well, I will hold it in until later.
1: I tell you what, though, I must admit, of all of the ones we've done so far, I have a strong feeling that I may do well on Dursley Factor later.
0: I feel you do. I think you hit the spot, as it were. (laughs) So normally we ask, have you ever been to uh, the country? So I'm assuming you've been to Scotland, Paul. Yes, I have. And have you ever been to the toilet? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Contrary to popular opinion, I am human. (laughs) I thought you were like the Queen who never went...
2: Well, I I, I don't know how apocryphal this story is, but a friend of mine's father was in the RAF and she visited them once and she needed the lavatory and they sort of somehow got the turd and and, and encased it in perspex. Wait, what? I'm sure that's apocryphal.
1: The Queen's or their (laughs) own? (laughs) Hers! (laughs) That's what they call a royal flush. Hey, how much would you pay for that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Come on, a kingly corporalite. You'd love that. You'd go with your little fossil collection. Well, I do, I, I do
2: have fossilized shit, yes. I don't think he collects them fresh, though, does he? It's not just me sitting on the lavatory for days on end.
1: But would you have a groom of the stall, though, Paul? Like, how do you fancy having a childhood friend come along and wipe your ass for a decade?
2: No, although I do believe swan feathers were quite often used in high society.
1: Swan feathers? That sounds uncomfortable.
0: On the swan, or uh, are you allowed to remove them first? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine you have a distressed swan in your privy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you just—they're plucked off in advance.
1: Well, I've heard of toilet duck, but I've never heard of toilet swan. Oh, good lord! This
0: is going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So guys, I wanted to talk about Groom of the Stool. Ah, yes. So we spoke about Sir Thomas Erskine and his involvement with James I. He was the monarch at the time and Sir Thomas Erskine was the one who looked after his toiletry requirements. So the role of the Groom of the Stool originated many years ago and the role was slightly different in those days. It was pretty much just making sure that the toilet was ready for the king. So it was a comfortable place for them to go. There was none of the other stuff that we spoke about with Sir Thomas Erskine, none of those responsibilities. In fact, those responsibilities came in during the reign of Henry VIII. He was the one who expanded the role to include other toileting needs. So, for example, the groom of the stool was now in charge of monitoring the bowel movements themselves. He had to give observations on what he found, <laughs> along with other health-related issues, which he would then report to the royal physician. Who would, I'm sure he had guess, a keen eye for a clock. Well, yeah, you'd have to, right? You'd be looking for certain specific technologies textures and colors right you'd almost it's almost impossible
0: to kind of get into it a little bit and kind of go oh that's a good one
2: (laughs) well yeah that's a that's a number seven on the Bristol Stool Scale.
0: The Bristol Stool
2: Scale? What was that? Yes, it is one of those things that is ostensibly very funny, but actually is very serious. Um, and it's a chart which identifies the seven different stool types. It is funny in, in, in some aspects, especially where some people have substituted chocolate products. So if it's, so for example, Maltesers or Bounty Bars or Mars
0: Bars. <laughs> but, but If you but, create a flake, you've got a problem, I'm pretty confident.
2: Yeah, or, or, or sort of the, the, the bad one is sort of hot chocolate. <laughs> That's a number seven. And so, <laughs> yeah, ostensibly it's funny, but have a, have a look at it. And, you know, it, it, it is serious because you can determine quite a lot from that.
0: Sorry, I assume this is for medical purposes and hence it's seriousness.
2: Yeah, yes. It, it, but it, yeah, it's one of those things when you come across it it, it, it does ostensibly seem very funny.
1: There are actually toilets that you can get. like um, I think they're principally made in Japan, but they will analyse your stool as well as part of their robotic toiletness.
0: Well, this is a, a, definitely a technological groom of the stool, isn't it? What's the What's the content
1: and composition? How are you feeling? Are you unwell or not? play some music, warm the seat. Squirt some water up afterwards. <laughs> but the groom was also responsible for organising the king's day around his bowel movements. So he had to predict when the king was going to go by diet and meal times alone. So depending on what he was eating and when he was eating it, he would be like, right, OK, he can't have that meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning because that's when he's going to be needing to go.
0: I should diarize mine now I think about it.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm not sure this is. Uh, you know, we don't do things like this now. You know, g- generally you don't you don't plan a meeting around your bowel movements. Your bowel movements move around the meeting. It, uh,
1: yeah, you'd think so, but I do wonder. Like the president of the United States or other sort of notable statesmen that have diaries packed with meetings and things, you must think that they have to allocate certain time for these things. Well, I, I suppose it's just knowing where they are. But uh, other responsibilities, the groomer still had. Were was uh governing the others in the privy council so they were the head of the privy council this was the group of people that were closest to the king and the groom of the stall was the number one uh or the number two <laughs> <laughs> the number one of number twos and his job was to keep track of the privy council finances make sure that nobody was skimming off the top and uh, make sure that any valuable objects were kept safe as well he was given the authority to decide who was allowed and not allowed access to the king which is a reason why the groom of the stall was such a coveted role very
2: very powerful that incredibly
1: yeah absolutely
2: well you know having having access to the leader has always been sort of the real power role but also the role that everybody hates
1: (laughs) yeah well especially when you've got to wipe their ass But the last person to hold the title of the Groom of the Stool was a guy called James Hamilton. He was the second Duke of Abercorn. And uh, on the 8th of February 1846, he was appointed to the position by Prince Albert, who we will know as being the husband of Queen Victoria. Inventor of the intimate piercing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, and Hamilton served as Groom of the Stool for 13 years. Uh, Longer, in fact, than Sir Thomas Erskine. Uh, Until Albert... So he wouldn't have been with Victoria when she was taking a dump, though, would he? No, just with Albert. Okay. Uh, Victoria probably had her own, yeah. But uh, Hamilton served for 13 years until Albert eventually abolished the position as part of like a wider shake-up of traditional customs, which he considered outdated. So a new, more modern system came, which was him doing it himself. Unbelievable. What independence he shows. Shocking. But uh, that did mean that Hamilton was then out of a job. But it didn't affect him a lot though, because he remained a prominent figure in the Royal Court for the next two decades, even loaning out his holiday home in Scotland Scotland, to Queen Victoria.
0: Let's be honest, we'd all have a groom of the stall if it wasn't an actual person in the room with us, wouldn't
2: it? <laughs> well, yes, it's that. It's that. Uh, perhaps, I, I suppose a, a lot of it is privacy, isn't it? Because. You know, the Romans
0: used to defecate together. That's true. It was a sort of equivalent of a communal shower, wasn't it? With a sponge on a stick for wiping your bum with.
2: Yeah, uh, and a little rill to clean it first.
1: So, you just shared the sponge. You never had your own sponge. And that was common right up until the 18th century. So, I, I asked the experts about that very thing. Culturally, how was it treated? You know, did it have that same level of squeamishness that we have today? Or was it a bit more communal? And they said, well, a lot of it was to do with the fact that so many people lived in close proximity you just didn't have the privacy so it, it just became part of your life and it didn't have that same association with it that kind of came later that sort of victorian attitude towards sort of needing privacy that came much later on
2: okay because that, that's quite interesting isn't it because a lot of the prim stupid things of the victorians we've just got by but that i suppose is, is one isn't it
0: that hasn't it is a moment of great vulnerability isn't it so i can understand why there was desire for privacy and at that moment
1: yes yeah i guess that's a kind of a primal fear isn't it it's at any time where you're in a position of vulnerability
2: well but but also of course lots of people die on the lavatory
1: elvis presley jumping to mind
2: yes uh, my grandfather was another one but obviously it's you know, there is a there is generally a bit of strain involved so if you have a dicky ticker it could it could actually just finish you off
1: i'm sorry to hear about your grandfather that's a sad bit. Of news. <laughs> it was 1977, so
0: it's 50 years ago almost. It was all the rage back then.
1: Didn't Elvis die in the 70s as well? Yes. Yeah. What's going on in the 70s and toilets?
0: It's early seat warmers with the bare wires.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's that, that's one thing in the middle in the Middle East. They have little showers, don't they, in the toilets?
0: Yeah, little days. Absolutely, the correct thing in my
2: opinion. It, it is, but I, I was I was there for nine months and I never used it.
0: i i hesitate to follow up
1: on that but why (laughs) we had a a barrel of swan feathers and we had to get through those
0: (laughs) a of money on this dozen swans
1: All right, so look, we talked a lot about toilets in the olden times, but... As part of my lavatories research... actually,
2: I, is what you should call them.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Lavatories. So we talked a lot about toilets or lavatories in the olden times, but, but what about the toilets of the future? So I did a little bit of research on this, and we've kind of hit a plateau in terms of toilet evolution. <laughs> so I was wondering, like, what's coming in the future? And there is actually a global push to try and get toilets reimagined. Um, they waste a lot of water. They're not especially hygienic, particularly in a lot of third-world countries. But also, they require a big sewer system and treatment processing plants to work and that isn't efficient and it requires a lot of maintenance, a lot of wasted water. So,
2: Earth closets, that's what you need. They were used in the past mm-hmm. and there are thoughts, well you could use them again because they don't use water and once you get past the oo factor the sort of the fuller's earth gets rid of the smell instantly.
1: It, it's, not, it's not a terrible idea and you're absolutely right. It is one of the ideas that is being considered. So uh, there is a World Toilet Day on November 19th, uh, which was established by the World Toilet Organization.
0: Bit self-interested of them really. Of course they'd want a day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the goal of that day is to raise awareness about the global sanitation crisis. And it's because of these reasons that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has started a Reinvent the Toilet Challenge with prizes available for the next big shift in toilet design. So some of the examples that have come out of this challenge includes Cranfield University's nanomembrane toilet, which treats human waste on site without using external energy or water, and it separates the liquid and the solid wastes and converts them into clean water and ash that you can reuse then there is the tiger toilet which is probably what you're talking about paul because this is another invention which is designed specifically more for sort of third world countries or refugee camps places where there are huge latrine pits and what this tiger toilets are is essentially using tiger worms in the soil in the base of the toilet where the human waste falls into it and then they just munch through the raw sewage and turn it into compost that can then be used to grow plants so you could have worms in in the bottom of your toilet
0: because it is a terrible waste isn't it you 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 gave us a really good and thorough insight into the fact that there is value actually in the things that we consider waste and don't even think about today and to go back to a time where we're going well let's actually take the nutrient value of this is an excellent
1: idea isn't it it really is yeah
2: yes but i i would probably put a caveat on those you know in the 17th and 18th century their diet was probably a lot better was a lot better than ours so i'm not sure that 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 much goodness you could extract out of a
1: McDonald's turd. Yeah, or a munchie box turd, yeah. Th- then there's the Blue Diversion Autarchy, uh, which is a bizarre name. For, <laughs> yeah, for an off-grid toilet which claims to not only recover the water, but also the salts and other nutrients from the urine and feces itself. Meaning you can basically reuse the water and the salt from your poop to cook your pasta or rice. Lovely. There's a I was reading
0: actually a while ago unrelated to this about toilet and low-water toilets and no-water toilets. And one of the things they struggle to overcome is the cultural aspect. So some of these toilets have a little dribble of water because we're so accustomed to that sense of water equals clean that mm-hmm. they, they put this totally unnecessary spray of water into the bowl because otherwise people just won't use it and they find it disgusting.
1: Those urinals that uh, exist which don't have any water. Every time I feel like, oh my God, that's the most disgusting thing ever. Yeah, you feel <laughs> like there's yeah, something apparently- missing, don't you? So there's a definite psychological aspect to what we consider clean to be. But talking of futuristic toilets, the most expensive toilet in the world isn't on Earth. It's in space. It's the toilet on the International Space Station and reportedly it cost around $19 million to develop because it has to operate in zero gravity.
0: Yeah, on the list of things you don't want floating around your environment, (laughs) I think it's pretty high up, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, that happened on an Apollo mission. Someone was ill for a part Mm -hmm. of the journey, and there was a problem getting to the lavatory on time. Uh, There were specks of faeces floating around in the cabin Mm. for the rest of the journey. My God,
1: that just sounds awful he was popular
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, time to regret that that throwaway line hey pre-flight curry guys
1: (laughs) so yeah on the international space station they have a small private cubicle it is a toilet which is smaller than a standard one and it has a hole in it which is like a bicycle seat that shape and it's uh, that shape for precise alignment and uh, the astronauts position themselves on the toilet and they tie themselves down with thigh restraints and they hold on to handholds in front of them and in the absence of of gravity, the toilet is designed to then use airflow to direct the body waste into two specific receptacles. So astronauts use a funnel, which is equipped with a fan that sucks the urine away and to be collected and recycled into drinking water for the rest of the crew on the station. And for the poop, the fans direct the floating plops into individual bags that are then stored in an enclosed container on cargo ships, which then dispose of it as they re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. But in May 2020, NASA launched a new upgraded version of the toilet to the ISS. It's called the Universal Waste Management System, and it is uh, much better. It's fully automated, it's quieter, it's more reliable, it's more hygienic, and it's 75% lighter and more compact than the previous system. Um, It also has improved suction which is said to be useful for the female crew members. i um, <laughs> <laughs> your pardon. Um, but most importantly, though, the UWMS also has improved odour control, which is apparently a major issue on the ISS when you're essentially stuck in one airtight tank.
0: And your diet out there is relatively limited as well, isn't it? So, and
2: again, a lot of the uh, Apollo astronauts just took... The the trip was about five days there and back, so they used to take a so they didn't need to go.
1: Oh, that sounds painful. Crikey. (laughs) But talking of painful, while they were fitting the new toilet, there was a mistake and they accidentally caused a water leak, which sent about two and a half gallons of water drifting throughout the station. Clean or dirty water? <laughs> <laughs> Clean water, fortunately. But uh, yeah, there you go. Their plans are that it's being trialled on the ISS um, with the view that it will eventually be used on lunar exploration missions. So there you go. We might hear more about this toilet in the future. Maybe we'll all have one. I look forward to that. A toilet to Uranus.
0: Now, Ryan, I would like to ask you something. Okay. You talked about the oldest poo in the world, the Viking. I think it was a Viking poo or
1: uh, something similar. Not the oldest, largest. the largest, the world's largest poop, ah, yeah.
0: Yes, and that's that's where I got confused because I thought that can't possibly be the oldest. So I did look up the oldest poo in the world. And I found that uh, there was a dig in Spain at the El Salt dig site, which was known as a Neanderthal habitation. Uh, it mm. is near uh, Alicante, if you know your Spain. And this was a dig that they found some trace of faeces that were about 50,000 years old, which has been deemed to be the oldest human excrement ever identified.
1: Wow.
0: And this was scientifically important because one of the things that had previously been thought was that the Neanderthals only ate meat, but it confirmed that they had vegetables in their diet as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I don't know why we ever thought they only ever ate meat.
0: Yes, that seems a bit strange, yeah.
1: It does, doesn't it? I think in those days, you would pretty much eat whatever you could get your hands on, right?
0: Yeah, that made sense to me as well. But uh, And the other thing then, obviously, rabbit hole occurred, and I went further into this, and I then started to look for the oldest toilet in the world. Okay. And one of the things I found, and this may be debatable, but the, one of the things I found was a two-and-a-half or 2,400-year-old 2, toilet which was found in the city of Xi'an in China, which is a Alleged to be, according to Liu Rui, who was a researcher involved in the project, the first flush toilet ever to be unearthed in China. Wait. What was his name? Lou Flush. Lou Lou, yeah. (laughs) Lou Rui. Now, they say flush toilet, and I think this is stretching a bit because the way they described it is the emperor, because obviously it was a a posh person's privy, the emperor would do their business and then a bunch of servants would chuck water at it until it went down the pipe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that completely qualifies as a flush toilet. Uh, Now, Ryan, I have one final Scottish toilet fact slash claim that I'd like to share with you. Please do. So, did you know that according to Alan Burnett, who is a historian and apparently the author of Invented in Scotland, there is a Neolithic settlement in the Isle of the Orkney Islands on Brae, And there, there is evidence of stone huts equipped with drains built into the walls, dating to about 3000 BC. And he says, although this is a basic sewer system, this is essentially the world's first indoor toilet. Oh, wow. So 5,000 years old indoor toilet. That's amazing. Yeah.
2: Well, you wouldn't want to go outside in the Orkneys, would you?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've used a 5,000-year-old toilet in a French campsite once.
0: It's quite possible. Very possible.
2: They wouldn't have had toilets in French campsites. It would just be a hole.
1: So, guys, in the episode, we said that people saw their waste as wealth right? The the middens were their private property and it was a source of their survival basically. Where there's
0: muck there's brass as they say in Yorkshire.
1: That is exactly right yeah and there were some cases going so far as taking neighbours to court over thefts of midden heaps Uh, but they weren't the only ones concerned with the theft of middens because local authorities had a similar problem. Now as we mentioned in the show they became motivated to sort of organise collection of people's waste mainly because rich people were complaining about the smell and so they organized to have it carted off to official locations outside of the borough so you'd have like three or four places where all of the waste was then heaped up these huge big giant middens basically a
0: mega midden
1: a mega midden yeah and it was still the property of the people but once it was there there was kind of a separation between the people and their waste <laughs> so
0: what did
1: they start label it that's mine. That's one. Yeah. yeah, well, people pretty sure
0: I recognise to... that one.
1: The <laughs> fungibility of turd. <laughs> So yeah, so once it was out of their sight, people just started to use it less, right? It meant you had to traipse all the way across the town just to get your, your waste back to put on your lawn. So they just they just didn't really do it. But it did mean that there was more waste to then sell to farmers to use on their lands. So that's what the authorities did. They organised auctions, known in Scotland at the time as a public rope, for people to bid for the fertiliser. And so in one town called Perth, the council had gathered all the personal biddens and street waste into a large mound at a place called Lossy Wines. It's a street that leads out of the town towards the north, and the pile was scheduled for sale. However, on the morning of the auction, the councillors all arrived to discover that the entire mound of waste had been stolen overnight, and the council were furious. The waste was considered borough property, and so the town council, who were also the magistrates, took the crime really seriously. They conducted an investigation to track down the criminal, and you'd think that might be easy. You know, they Be plenty of evidence left, no less than, you know, a strong smell on whoever it was who stole it. feel like
0: your sniffer dogs have a very easy day that day.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the authorities couldn't find the person. They couldn't pin the crime on anyone. They did suspect a man from a nearby village, but uh, no charge was ever brought. Now, thefts were not uncommon. People would sort of rock up and take a cartload, but not an entire midden. It was like the first time someone had stolen the entire lot. And you'd think that a giant pile of crap on your land might be evidence enough but it seems that the thief was professional, because to avoid getting caught, they had buyers lined up or just used the waste themselves to fertilise their own fields. But at the time, this was an audacious robbery, making whomever stole it incredibly rich, certainly comfortable enough for a long, long time. And I'm assured that if the thief had ever been caught, he would have faced really severe punishment, which means, at the time, theft being a crime punishable by death, or, more likely, they would have been imprisoned for a long, long time time and publicly shamed probably locked into stocks for public ridicule flogged branded and maybe even having their ears cut off
0: i feel this is deserving of the hollywood heist treatment we need a kind of whiskey galore but
1: for excrement (laughs) the great shite heist
0: Now... Chaps, enough of this toilet's talk. I think we've come to the end of the line. It's time to step into the dock, Ryan, and prepare to face the judge. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Oh, let me just uh, get
2: settled. I'll have to do it quickly because I need to dash in a moment. OK,
0: well. As <laughs> I say, will the defendant please rise? I am risen. I feel like you should be seated for this one for some reason. <laughs> I am seated. Your Honour, as usual, if we can start proceedings, by first asking your verdict on factual content. So, funnily
2: enough, you had a lot of contributors to this subject. So, I think
0: I will give you a B+.
1: Whoa!
0: I would have given it an A but you know I'm just a fellow boost here
1: That's amazing B plus Woohoo.
0: Okay so let's move on to the second category Entertainment value Did this tickle your funny bone or did you enjoy The episode There were
2: rather a lot of skits and jokes In it the gift that keeps on giving
0: it's a fertile subject
2: very much so uh i think we're a bit hit and miss on some of the sketches this week um so i'm going to tone it down a bit and i will give you c
0: plus i deserved more damn it but i've got high hopes for the next one Ryan. so hang on for it and now we are on to the amorphous the unknown Dursley Factor. How did it score on the Dursley Factor, Mr. Dursley? Well, uh, I, th-
2: I think you know that, well, A, I'm English. B, I have a Y chromosome. Therefore, anything scatological is very, very funny. <laughs> uh, so, I have to say I was tickled by the subject. So, I will begrudgingly give you A minus.
0: Ooh you could be flushed with success here Uh, so we're uh, reaching the main event the final verdict now before the judge passes his ruling Ryan you have an opportunity to enter your plea if you choose to do so please make your plea
1: now absolutely not I'm saying nothing (laughs) things are going well
0: (laughs) that is incredibly sensible and I can only suggest that's a good idea now your honour the defendant stands before you have you reached a verdict yes I have and so I must ask you respectfully for your final ruling well,
2: Ryan, I think I'm going to change the grading system. And for this, I shall
0: give you. a number two. <laughs> and how does the. what's the exchange rate for a number two on an A to E?
2: <laughs> I think a number two is B. B plus, Ryan. Oh. How do you feel, Ryan? Oh. Just so relieved. I am. It's presumed. just after you've passed a particularly stodgy one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel good about a B plus. I really felt like an excrement episode was going to get the Dursley A, but I'm going to take a B plus because it is as close as damn it as I'm going to get.
0: You've got an excellent grade for an excellent episode, in my opinion, Ryan. You did very well, and as indeed Dursley said, you must be very relieved.
1: I am indeed. Thank you both.
0: Okay, so that's our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through the website, hhepodcast.com, or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com.
1: We'd love to hear from you, and you never know, you might end up
0: featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Recommendations there can really help bring the show to new listeners, which we would really appreciate.
1: That's right. Now, if you're on Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of those social media places you can find us at hhe podcast and if you subscribe to those you're going to get an alert every time we post any trivia tidbits news and photos and we'll be back again
0: soon with our next episode number 74 nine lives in bangladesh during the victorian era interesting one but in the meantime a huge thank you to the judge himself thank you paul my pleasure and that's it i guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to
2: Uh, have either of you ever been to Shitterton?
0: <laughs> Not a ton, no. Uh, <laughs> half a ton sometimes. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, um, uh, Shitterton's a place in Dorset, just outside Dorchester. And that's the name of the place.
0: I suspect this is one of those places that has a problem with the theft of their road signs. Well,
2: exactly. I, I was, I, I was coming to that, and so the council got really rather annoyed about the signs getting stolen, sort of on a, I don't know, almost a weekly basis, and so the the, the town sign was a 40 ton lump of granite with the name of the town carved into it and it hasn't been stolen yet.
0: <laughs> Great Shine heist part 2. There's a sequel.
2: Um, it's like old street names in English towns. The Victorians changed a lot of them, but a lot of the sort of the places near where the public lavatories were quite often called Shiteburn Lane.
1: That's exactly right, and that came up in my research as well. There were plenty of streets called Stink Alley in Edinburgh at this time, but Stink wasn't to do with the smell. The Stink in those days meant drain, so it was just Drain Alley.
2: Oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: Right guys, I better go because I've got a
2: shift.